Hello, my name is Ben Harrison Hyde. I hope that whenever you're listening to this that your day has been great so far, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of Corners of the World. This is a series in which I discuss football leagues and cultures that are mostly unfamiliar to English audiences with a range of experts from across the globe. Hopefully you will learn something new from my guests and have the opportunity to discover a brand new world of football as part of a student radio sports show like no other. For the first episode, I interviewed Ryan Walters, editor of K-League United, about the recent 2020 season in Korea. We spoke earlier in the year to preview the season, and that interview can still be found on the URB podcast page of your preferred podcast streaming service under Football in Lockdown, along with plenty of other excellent podcasts. For more discussion on football in Korea, I would recommend checking that out, as well as K-League United's own weekly podcast. This time, we discuss the sense of deja vu between this season and the one that came before, the greatest of great escapes, how clubs in Korea adapted when fans were briefly allowed back into stadiums, and previewed the chances of Korean clubs participating in the Asian Champions League. I hope you enjoy. We're back to Korea for a season review. Dust has settled on the season, and once again, I'm joined by Ryan Walters. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So we're here to discuss how the season went, and um, in some ways... Even though it's been 2020, quite an unpredictable year, there were mm-hmm. a few things that happened that seemed to be quite predictable. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be referencing Jumbo Hyundai Motors winning the title again, would you? I, I might be referencing the fact yeah. that uh, John Book managed to win their fifth title in a row this season. And um, once again, their main rivals managed to throw away a pretty decent lead at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's their record fourth straight this year. It is their eighth overall, which makes them the most, uh, the winningest side in Korean football history in the top flight. They just overcame Songnam FC, who had seven. And yeah, we, we, we thought it was going to be different this year. This is the second year in a row that we've at least had a, a title challenge. Last year, it was also Ulsan Hyundai. And last year, Olsan also threw it away. Uh, as fate would have it, the, the fixtures are random after the league splits. If folks don't remember from the season preview all the way back, then uh, the league splits after the teams play each other, usually three times this year because of the shortened season. It was twice. And then the top half plays each other one more time. And this year, Olsan and Jumbook faced off in the penultimate round again. Mm-hmm. And Olsan couldn't get it done again. Uh, it's It's... I'm not even an Ulsan fan and I'm frustrated. It, it, oof, the talent on that team, everything is there for them to, to succeed. I mean, last year they had the MVP. They had Kimbo Kyung in an MVP season last year and they couldn't win. And you thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe they're one year away. Maybe they can do it this year. And then this year they had, I want to say it was a nine-point lead at some point. But even going into the split, they had a lead. All they had to do was match Jumbook's record and, I don't know, maybe beat Jumbook once and, and they couldn't do it. So, yeah, rinse and repeat, man. Yeah, despite having the uh, league's top scorer on their side um, in the two crucial matches against Pohang and Jombuk, they failed to score and conceded five goals. And you just wonder whether the Pohang match, which came just before the Jombuk match, whether that may have taken the momentum out of the team and had that result have been even 2-0, not the 4-0 that it ended up being, would that have helped the team to have a bit more of that winning confidence against John Book in that crucial match? Well, I mean, I'm just going to throw the manager under the bus here. Kim Do-hoon, he, <laughs> he can't manage in big games. We know this. And that Pohang match is a perfect example of it. This is known as the East Coast Derby here. Ulsan and Pohang are pretty close to each other. And that's, that's one of the biggest rivalries. In recent years, I would say that's been the rivalry in K-League because the super match between Seoul and Suwon 
it hasn't been great. Both of those teams have kind of languished at the bottom half of the table. Both have actually had relegation scraps in recent years. The match itself is always fun, but the East Coast Derby's kind of taken center stage, and Ulsan just can't, they can't get over that hurdle when it matters. Earlier in the year, I think it was round three or four or something like that, they trounced Pohong. Everybody's, oh, it's revenge, this and that and the other, because last year, on the last day of the season, Pohong beat Ulsan to steal the title. Now, Pohong didn't get the title. They just made sure Ulsan didn't get it because, as we said, Jumbuk got it again. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think that Pohong match, when we talked about it at, uh, over here, that was a must win. They had to win that game to prove that they could win in big games. And like you said, not only did they lose, they, they were just knocked around. Yeah. And, and to me, again, it's because Kim Do-hoon, their current manager, who I hope but I don't have to say that for too much longer – can't get this team up for big games. They lost an FA Cup final against Daegu FC a couple of years ago. I mean, Daegu's great. We love Daegu around here, but that's not a team they should have lost to in the FA Cup. Last year, they couldn't get it done against Jumbuk on the second to last day. And then they lost to Pohong. They lost two games in a row to end the season last year. And this year, they did the same thing. When it matters, Ulsan just, they can't get up for the match. And to me, that's, that's why you pay big money for big managers. And the players obviously have the talent, but, you know, we have managers for a reason. And the, the difference between Jumbuk and Ulsan is that Ulsan has a manager that can't get them ready for the big game. And, of course, there are other managers in the league who are able to get their teams ready for big matches because uh, not only did that Pohang uh, Ulsan 4-0 uh, deny Olsan the uh, title, well, at least contributed to it. It also helped Pohang get into uh, third place and to secure a place in next season's Asian Champions League, which uh, may have come as a bit of a surprise because um, I did do a bit of uh, listening back to our season preview and you said uh, FC Seoul would be challenging for that spot. Well, the the less we talk about FC Seoul's season, you know, no, never mind. Let's talk about this because yeah. they... They, they got back into continental football for this year from their table results last year. And they signed the AFC Champions League record goal scorer for one season. Adriano had 13 goals in one campaign in ACL. He lit the league on fire when he was with FC Seoul last time. They had Alexander Pesic going into the season, a tremendous striker up top. And neither of those guys scored a goal. I think between the two of them is like 20 minutes combined. They just didn't play at all. Park Chu Young, somebody that your listeners might remember from his quote-unquote Arsenal days, I think he touched the field once or twice for them. <laughs> he led the team in scoring with four goals. Four goals was the leading scorer for FC Seoul. I mean, it, ugh, ugh. they just fell apart this year and... It's, it was surprising. And they've also had four managers. They're doing Champions League right now, and they're on their third caretaker manager of the season. So, I mean, it's FC Seoul is all sorts of a mess. But going into the season, they had Che Young Soo in charge, somebody that's been there before, somebody that got them back into Champions League. He's won the title. They looked like they were good to go on paper, but, you know, that, that was very different in the season. But Pohong have built something special. The fact that they're back into Champions League, I, I, I don't think it's too surprising. They are one of the winningest teams in that competition. So it's nice to see them back on the international stage. It's nice to see them earn that through the t league table as well. And they finished the season as probably the most entertaining team in Korea. Just absolutely high-flying attack. Uh, they have a lot of really talented players that hopefully they can keep for next year. Um, 
Ilyachenko is somebody that was just lighting the league up at the end of the season and uh, young player of the season, Song Min Q, uh, a very young, I think, what is he, 21 this year? Anyway, he's playing his way into the Olympic side for Korea based on what he's done in league play this year. So Pohong's all sorts of fun. And uh, it'd be great to see them back in ACL next year, whatever ACL looks like next year. But the fact they're up there isn't a surprise. The fact that Seoul fell off a cliff, I think, is a little bit of a surprise, yeah. Yeah, so obviously you've uh, mentioned Pohang as being uh, one of the stars of the season. Were there any other teams that you enjoyed the matches that you watched? I, on results and sometimes watching them, Sangju Sangmu, that's the military side here. Uh, they're moving cities, so they automatically got relegated because uh, there are some weird things here in K-League. So they went into the season knowing they were going to be relegated, but they finished fourth. And they were really entertaining doing it. Uh, their manager, Kim Taewon, was the manager of the year for me. Like To motivate a group of guys to actually play when they know they're going to be relegated no matter what, that's one thing. A mid-table finish would have been great, but he finished fourth. They, if they could have qualified, they would be in Champions League next year. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. But as far as like pure entertainment, Dago FC is tough to beat. They have a Brazilian named Cecina who, if you can find a goal highlight of him, and we've got plenty on uh, Kaylee mm-hmm. League Twitter, it, it's, oh, the man's just all sorts of fun to watch. Dayan Damjanovic, uh, an FC Seoul legend that's still still banging in goals. He got nine this year for Daegu after a slow season for Suwon last year. They have unquestionably the league's best mascot, Rika the Hedgehog. It's this giant half soccer ball, half hedgehog that just kind of like rolls around the stadium. It's amazing. Uh, Daegu's all sorts of fun. They always are. So that that's another team that's impressed me because they're a citizen-owned side. So they don't have the money of the Hyundai teams. You know, they don't have the money of FC Seoul or any of these other kind of teams. But they're really intelligent with what they do with their money. Their marketing is fantastic. I think they're the best marketed team in the league. They have a fantastic boutique stadium. I think it's twelve thousand capacity, and they play a fun brand of football. So Daegu in a lot of ways is the model for what I would love to see more Korean clubs be. And they're really fun to watch on their day as well. So I was really impressed with them because they earned ACL through league play this time. The last time they got in champions league was because they won the FA cup and finished, I think eighth or ninth that season. So it's been a really, really good couple of years for Daegu. Well, I remember at the start of the season, um, I was trying to get my parents um, kind of <laughs> excited about the K-League and trying to get them to pick a team. And uh, my mum said that she was going to decide based on the mascots. So uh, you can kind of tell that she ended up going for Daegu with the <laughs> cute little hedgehog mascot. Yeah, you gotta. Everybody loves Rika. Follow, follow her on Instagram. Well, as you said, um, Sanju Sangmu, is that it? Mm-hmm. Sanju yeah. Sangmu, yep. Yeah, so they were or they were going to be relegated at the end of the season anyway because of their relocation, leaving one mm-hmm. relegation spot for um, for the rest of the teams to fight out for. And as per usual, Incheon managed to do the bare minimum to survive. Incheon United, man, never doubt Incheon. Yeah, this never. Year- their, their season started off uh, with two draws, followed by seven losses, a defeat in the mm-hmm. cup to lower opposition, three more draws mm-hmm. and losses, and they only won their first game in week 16 of a 27-week season. Yeah, man. It, oh, this year, I, I never publicly doubted them. And that's, that's the key phrasing that I keep using this year. I never publicly doubted them. But we, we, we thought, you know, this year, this might be it. This might be it for them. 
Mm. And that's every year we call it the great escape. And I mean, it literally is every year. This year was the greatest of escapes though, because like you say, week 16 and this 27 game season is when they finally got their first win, but then they won three of their last five. They won their last two in a row. And those were must-win games. And I that would be considered a win streak in Incheon. Oh, of course. Yeah, got it. Yes. <laughs> they and Songnam FC both won their last two games to avoid relegation. But Incheon especially, I think we were finally able to get some fans back in. There were two stints where we had fans in the stadiums this year. And at the end of the season... Their second to last game was against Busanai Park, the team that eventually got relegated. And they were down 1-0 at home. And you could feel the fans lift them up. I was lucky enough to actually be there for that game. And I, I think it really mattered. And Incheon has always needed their fans at the end of the season. And I, I want to say it was only three or 4,000 because we're at reduced capacity for obvious reasons. But the noise was still there. The buzz was still there. And they came back and they scored two goals in 45 seconds in that game to win 2-1. And it, it, it was one of the memories of the season for this year for me because you knew that they were going to go and win next week. When they won that game against Busan, there was no doubt that they were going to beat FC Seoul the next week because they were doing it again. Incheon was doing the great escape. And I think so much of that was because the fans were finally back for Incheon and because this team just turns it on when it absolutely matters. And I mean, that game... If, if there's a full replay somewhere, or actually maybe this winter we'll just do like a classic match on K-League Twitter and put it back out there because uh, Rashid Mahazi, an Australian number six, he blocked a goal line. Like he had a goal line save in the dying minutes. The goalie was off to the side. He blocks the shot. It goes up. The keeper saves it. It comes back in. There's another save. Like it, this game was nuts. It was nuts. And it was the perfect, perfect encapsulation of what Incheon is of this team that you just think, Oh, maybe they'd be better in K-League too. And then they go and pull it off every single year at the end. It, it was highly entertaining stuff from them. Well, my, uh, my K-League team was decided for me uh, by my computer at random. So I did follow the Incheon season quite uh, keenly. Um, and I remember watching the uh, Busan game uh, pretty much through alerts on my phone. And I just couldn't believe that they ended up turning that game around, especially as quickly as they did. Yeah, it was something else. And uh, again, I think because they scored right off the restart, you know, they scored and the, the stadium was just buzzing. And I, I don't think that second shot's even taken, nevertheless goes in <laughs> if the fans aren't there for that one. And it was, it was a really special moment. And I, I, man, I just hope Incheon finishes like ninth. That's all I want for them next year. Just like, just comfortably avoid the relegation scrap and finish like eighth or ninth. Finish at least just one place above where you would be relegated. Yes. And, and this year, like you say, with Sangju being automatically relegated, Incheon also avoided the usual promotion relegation playoff. Usually the 11th place team from K-League 1 will face the K-League 2 playoff winner. But because Sangju was automatically relegated, that meant Busanai Park was also automatically relegated. Personally, I hope this is the system moving forward. I don't think a team that finishes 11th in a 12-team league deserves to play a lower division opponent to stay in the league. I think they should just be relegated. So I really like the way that it worked out this year. And like it really worked out for Incheon. But again, I hope this is the way that we do things moving forward. But we'll see. And of course, you've uh, mentioned in that Incheon game uh, the fact that fans were allowed to return. And there were, as you said, two points in the season when fans were allowed to return. We're, we feel like we're quite a long way off actually having fans back at major football matches in England. So 
what was the uh, atmosphere like at a, let's say, more normal game uh, when uh, fans were allowed back during the season, even with the protocols? I've been pretty impressed. Uh, like I said, Daegu, I think, does things really intelligently. I was down there for a game this summer when they had fans in. Again, it was only a couple of thousand, but in that stadium that's built for 12,000, you can really make some noise. And obviously, they're not letting people shout or anything because everybody's wearing masks, obviously, here anyway. That's not necessarily an issue, but again, they'd rather be cautious. But what they've done is instituted a lot of like stamps and claps. So like people, especially in Daegu, because their stands are metal, so that makes a ton of noise. Yeah, so they've, and then they hand out uh, these foldable pieces of cardboard that turn into like little clappers. So they combine that. And then a couple minutes before kickoff, the stadium announcer comes out and goes over the different chants for different moments in the game. And so the fans kind of get this prep beforehand of like the chants they're going to be introduced. And then they just put it up on the video screen at different points. Or a lot of times the supporters section will lead these not chants but like these stamp and clap routines and it made a lot of noise it was really impressive um again daegu does things really really well uh but then even in incheon when i was there that's a more traditional stadium with concrete but fans were still making noise that way and again the teams all handed out those foldable like fan clappers so people were making noise with that it was a little bizarre, but I mean, again, having gone to so many matches this year where it was just media, at first it was like, oh yeah, I get to watch football in person. This is great. And then after a couple of months, it was like, oh man, I really miss hearing reactions and, and just, it just feels so much different. Even at FC Seoul Stadium, which is a 60,000 person stadium with 2000 people in there, it just feels different. It just feels better. And, and fans were making noise and you're not supposed to make any audible noise but you know there's a lot of oohs and ahs and there are still people shouting at the referee plenty so <laughs> oh, oh good i mean you wouldn't have it any other way but it sounds, yeah. like it's, it sounds like it's been done well and there's been some pretty good innovations in being able to create that noise without having to have screams and shouts and chants i feel like in england uh probably fulham would be the best equipped to get their fans on board with the whole clappers thing because uh, they are the premier league side that are kind of famous for having clappers um there you go so um yeah i mean i think fulham could definitely deal with some fans coming back in the stadium uh in their bid to escape relegation so looking ahead slightly towards uh, next season uh, busan have gone straight back down but uh, coming up the other way jeju have come straight back up yeah jeju united were extremely impressive this year they were just thorough through and through i mean we talked about it preseason. the the team that they built was k1 ready I mean, as it was, if that team was in K-League 1 this season, I don't think they would have even been involved in the relegation scrap. They were just really intelligent with the signings that they made. They kept a lot of key players. Oh Sung-hoon was in net for them. He was a big part of Ulsan Hyundai's title challenge last year. And then somewhat unfairly got shipped to Jeju when Kim Sung-gyu came over from Japan last season and then stayed there. So just a tremendously reliable pair of hands in net. And... Yeah, yeah, they finished the season on a 16-match unbeaten streak. So like, it, it was just unbelievable what Jeju did in K2 and deservedly coming right back up. And, and it's nice to see them back in the first division. It's where they belong. This is a team that was in Champions League just a little while ago. They finished second in the league just a few years ago. So it, it's nice to see them back. And it's nice to see a team bounce back immediately because a lot of times we'll see teams get relegated and they kind of languish in the second division for a while like we've seen Busan do 
And it, it was really nice to see Jeju just really take their promotion seriously and get it done. The way that it's been presented sounds slightly more dominant than it was. They almost had to go on that 16-match uh, winning unbeaten streak because uh, Suwon FC were very competitive with them throughout the whole season and looked like they would be promoted, especially around halfway through. Yeah, I mean, I think that's full credit to Suwon this year because they're another side that they've built well. And this year, I think the difference is that all their pieces are finally clicking. They've had a lot of talent before, but this year, I think a ton of credit needs, needs to go to manager Kim Do-kyun, who this is his first professional club. And he came in here and he got this side playing extremely well. And a lot of it is because of two of their foreign signings, Masatoshi Ishida, a Japanese 25-year-old, which I always forget how young he is. He came over from the lovely named Ansan Greeners. Uh, he had a good season for them last year and made the move over to Suwon. And so things were expected of him. And then North Korean forward An Byung Jun was just lights out this year. And those two combining, they've just been lethal. I mean, the K-League 2 awards, the official ones haven't been announced yet, but I fully expect Am Byung-jun to be the MVP of the second division. He, he's just been fantastic. 20 goals so far in 27 games. They do have the playoff coming up soon. He's been out of this world, but yeah, I mean, Suwon stumbled a little bit. 54 points out of 27 games, pretty good. But Jeju, like you say, they... They just decided that they weren't going to lose anymore, mm. and they didn't. And it, it, it's just really impressive what they did, because any other season, Suwon, I think, runs away with the K2. But yeah, Jeju were just otherworldly for the second division this year. Yeah, I feel like Ulsan could probably take some lessons from that winning run at the end of a oh season. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. They well, should just go... What an excuse to go to Jeju as well. Jeju, for the, those that don't know, is like our version of Hawaii, kind of, here in Korea. It's south of the country, good weather, lovely beaches. So any excuse to go to Jeju is great. Fantastic. And I know we've been, uh, well, roasting Ulsan pretty much throughout this. Um, the season <laughs> still isn't yes. over for them because um, I don't know what you'd call it, a resumption, a restart, beginning. Um, the Asian Champions League uh, for the Eastern teams has just kicked off, all the matches being held in Qatar. I think it's John Burke, FC Seoul, Ulsan and Suwon somehow involved in this as well. Uh, they won the FA Cup last year. Of course. Um, yeah. They're all involved for career. Um, do you fancy any of their chances of uh, going on to win the thing? <sighs> well, yes and no. I mean, the East is a big old mess right now. Uh, we just saw last night Sydney FC, they're without their main goalkeeper. The A-League goalkeeper of the year, Andrew Redmayne, decided to stay home because his first child might be born. That's understandable. But then their backup keeper went and got a red card in the 91st minute handling the ball outside of the box. So their second option is now out. And that, that's kind of what A-League teams are doing. K-League teams, meanwhile, have... Uh, they've had the rug pulled out from under by the KFA because Paulo Benzo and the Korean national team decided that these matches, these friendly matches against Mexico and Qatar were more important than international football. They, they were more important than club obligations that players still had. And there was the first actual COVID outbreak from any Korean team. Here in K-League, we, Daejeon Hana Citizen had one player test positive for COVID two, three weeks ago. And he was isolated. The team played a game this week. They're playing again next weekend. That was all handled. Everything has been handled so, so, so well by the K-League clubs here. And then the one time that they are under the KFA's charge, and the KFA has done well overall, but taking K-League players that still have obligations for a friendly match is absurd. 
And now we've seen Cho Yanu, Korea number one goalkeeper, Ulsan's reliable goalkeeper. He got COVID. And obviously we hope that he has a speedy recovery. And I, I expect that the doctors will do well for him. But now he's out of ACL. So now you've taken Ulsan, one of the teams that could do well in this tournament, and you've taken away their goalkeeper. And he was one of nine people involved in this camp that got COVID for a bunch of friendlies that didn't even need to be played. This isn't even Nations League. No. It's absurd to me to take players from Korea over to Europe for these games. There are enough European-based players that those are the only guys you need to take a look at. Or take players whose seasons are done. Gu Sung Yoon is the keeper that ended up playing. He plays for Daegu FC. His obligations for the year are done. Great. Take him. Have a look at him in net. Kang Hyun Moo plays in net for Pohong Steelers. He's fantastic. Take a look at him. Hey, to me, it's just, it's absurd that these players had to go and do this. And now it's affecting ACL in a season where K-League has done so well to maintain and to have a season and to have the players ready to go. And that should have been a leg up in this competition because, like I said, A-League clubs have been struggling. CSL clubs, Chinese Super League clubs have been struggling a little bit. All of the J-League sides that are in it, their league form's not very good right now. So the opportunity is there. And FC Seoul is one of the few teams that's actually remained pretty healthy, but they haven't had a good season. So but I mean, they're FC Seoul, so you yeah. exactly think that they're going to be able to go all the way. Right. It's, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. Not least of which because Jumbook, a team that you, you know, they're always in there with a shout. The K1 MVP, Sun Jun Ho, isn't available because he was a part of that camp and he contracted COVID. And I mean, and again, first and foremost, wish all of these players and staff a speedy recovery. And like that, that obviously has to come first. And that is the first concern. Yeah. But when we're talking about on-field stuff, you've taken away the league MVP from the league's best team that you're hoping will win this tournament for, for what, for a friendly game against Mexico, you've already played them in the world cup. Like it, 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 it's just so selfish on Paulo Bento's part to play these players that he already knows and for, for nothing for friendlies when they have these obligations. So obviously I'm a little riled up about that because I love mm-hmm. champions league and I would love to see K league teams do well. And again, the league has done so much to have them set up to succeed in this tournament and then one international camp and it's all been wiped. It's, it's so really the last moment. It's just all, it's all been taken away. All the preparation pretty much for the Asian champions league is uh, almost uh, redundant for a few teams. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is all of the teams in this tournament are, are dealing with, I mean, it's 2020. <laughs> We're all dealing with something, right? Yeah. And, the A-League teams, it's their preseason. Like I said, the Japanese sides that are in it, they're pretty out of form right now. The Chinese Super League sides, are they're doing pretty well. I think they'll do all right in the East. And then JDT, yes. the team from Malaysia, couldn't even travel. The Malaysian government said, you can't go to this tournament, you can't play in it. So they're out, which means that the only other nation represented is Thailand with Shanghai United. And they've had a good season. They're doing all right in Thai League right now. Uh, but they don't have any points through two matches. So I think it's going to be a pretty big ask for them to try to come back and get out of this. But I guess the roundabout way that I'm saying this is that all of the teams in this tournament are dealing with something. So the K-League teams aren't really at a disadvantage per se, but they did have an advantage and that was taken away. And that's the frustrating part. But can anybody succeed in this? Yeah. Yeah. I always like Jumbook's chances. Because so you think uh, 
John Book would be uh, who you'd back to, to win it. Oh, I don't know about winning the whole thing. Persepolis is already there from the West. Yeah, and... of course. So from the Eastern section, do you think it'll be a Korean team or someone else? Just quickly. <sighs> I, sure, I'll stay a homer. I'll say a Korean team will get it from the East. Even though I just watched Shanghai SIPG last night and they looked all right. <laughs> well, you can uh, keep up to date with uh, all the Korean sides progress in the Asian Champions League. Um, when's the next 2021 season going to be getting back underway? We don't have an official start date yet. Uh, usually the league kicks off in late February, early March. I would okay. expect probably the same this year because I think things have been handled pretty well. So hopefully late February, we will have K-League back again. But K-League 2 playoffs are still happening if people want to get involved in those. Yeah, perfect. So make sure that you're staying abreast of uh, Korean football because it's still going on and it won't be too long until it's back. So uh, thanks once again to Ryan for coming on for a chat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation about last season's K-League season that included criticism of Olsan and the KFA's management, the story of the greatest of great escapes, and some of the ways clubs were able to create big match atmospheres with smaller crowds and limits on verbal contributions. As mentioned earlier, you can check out the introduction to the K-League that we recorded earlier in the year, as well as other great URB podcasts such as Snap, Cackle and Pop, They Think It's All Over and The Sunday Vibe Reset through the URB podcast page on your preferred streaming service. I'll be back next week with a different guest to help introduce you to another one of the world's most intriguing football cultures as part of this Corners of the World series. Thank you for listening.